How are you guys doing tonight? Yeah? I love the energy in this room tonight. It's so good. Uh, I am pumped about tonight, so I hope you guys are ready for, uh, for a good time as well. Uh, last week, our friend Scott talked about the story of Joseph. We've been all semester long going through a series, walking through Hebrews chapter 11, the heroes of faith. And last week, Scott talked about the story of Joseph, how he was sold into slavery, how he stood strong in the face of temptations that came at his way, and how in the midst of how life seemed to be bad thing, hard thing after hard thing kept coming up at Joseph, but God was with him in the midst of it. Um, It was a really, really, really awesome teaching last week. If you were not here, you can listen to that teaching online or on the new Campus Ministry app. There you have it. All right. So uh, it just might change your life. Just know that. Okay, so Exodus chapter 1 says this. We ended with Joseph last week. We're going to move on in the story. Then Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites multiplied greatly and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. If war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. The Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. Okay, so that's kind of what's happening in Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 3, there's the birth story of this guy named Moses. Maybe you've heard of him. Anybody heard of the story of Moses before? The guy named Moses before, okay? So now I'm going to invite our friend Ben to come on up. And he's going to help us get ready for this great story of Moses. So ladies and gentlemen, Ben Martin. This is uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, after he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with God's people rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of God's sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, and when the Egyptians tried to do so, they drowned. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and thank you, Ben Martin. So the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt 
for 400 years. The Bible tells us that took place for 400 years. Then God uses this guy named Moses to help bring God's people out of Egypt, out of this bondage and slavery, into freedom. As the story goes, there were 10 horrific plagues that God sent onto the Egyptian people. And Moses and the Israelites are trying to get out of Egypt. Pharaoh says, okay, fine, you can go. And then he's like, no, just kidding, you can't. And God sends another plague. And then they say, okay, you can go, you can leave Egypt. And they said, okay, just kidding, you can't. And he sends another plague. So there's 10 plagues that God sends on Egypt. And finally, after the last plague, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, said, all right, really, this time, get out of here. We don't want anything to do with you. We don't want anything to do with your God. Just get out of our face, if you will. Okay, so the Israelites leave, and that brings us to our main story for tonight. But before we read our story tonight, I need some help from you guys. So I need 12 volunteers to come on up. Come on up. 12 volunteers, come on up right up on the stage. 12 of you, come on up. Don't be shy. It's going to be a good time. And if you're not coming up here, then you might get assigned something else anyway. Okay, thank you for your patience. I need everybody to stand up. This is an all play, all right? I need everybody, we need full participation here. So we have some Israelites and we have some Egyptians on the stage. And you guys get to be the Red Sea, all right? Okay, so here's what's going to happen. First of all, I need you guys all to move towards the middle and fill in the aisle, all right? And because, because you guys are representing the Red Sea, I think it would be appropriate to do the wave, don't you think? Okay, so we're going to start over here and just go, woo, like that. All right, one, two, three. That was pretty good, but we can try that again, all right? One, two, three. All right, good job. All right, here's your, here's your role. Every time I say the word sea, you guys do that. All right, good job. All right, we have the Israelites and we have, uh, come on up, Moses. You're with the Israelites up here. All right, hear these words of the Lord from Exodus chapter 14. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to encamp by the sea. Directly opposite Baal Zephon. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites encamped, encamped by the sea. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. Pharaoh took 600, 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, 
pursued the Israelites as they camped by the sea. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. The Israelites were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Then Moses came forward, and he stretched out his staff over the sea. And all night long, the Lord drove the waters back with a strong east wind. And turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the water on dry ground, very slowly, with a wall of water on their left and a wall of water on their right. The Egyptians pursued them. And all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the water so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak it went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the water. The sea flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the water. Not one of them survived. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and His servant Moses. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Give yourselves a hand. You guys can have a seat, and if you have a prop, you can bring that back up on the stage somewhere. Thank you. Well done. Well done. Well done. Okay, here's what I want you to do real quick. Turn to like two or three people next to you. Briefly introduce yourself if you don't already know them. And just mention one thing that stood out to you about the story. Okay, turn to like two or three people around you. Introduce yourselves if you need to. What's one thing that stood out to you about the story? Okay. Does somebody have something that they'd be willing to just share with the group? What is one thing that you observed? You can't really get it wrong. So what did you talk about? Somebody raise your hand. 
What is one thing you observed? Moses trusting God and just saying, okay, we're not really questioning this. Here we go. That's great. Great observation. Somebody else? Not a single one survived. That is a good observation. Somebody else over here had a hand up. <laughs> if, yeah, Moses is like, all right, this is what the game plan is, and people are just following him. But if, you, if somebody was telling you this is what the game plan is, you're like, uh, you're crazy, right? One more? Anybody else have one more? Ben. God's timing was going to be perfect with this story here. Very good. Okay, the story is found in Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. The Israelites in this story are really just caught between a rock and a hard place, right? They, they left Egypt. The Egyptian army is coming after them. And this massive Red Sea is in front of them. They're kind of stuck there. Uh, Verse 6 and 7 say this. Chapter 14, verse 6 and 7. So Pharaoh had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. Okay, so most chariot units uh, during this time period would range somewhere between 10 and maybe 150. Okay, so this story here tells us there were 600 units of chariots, and that was just for Pharaoh's unit, and then plus all the chariots of Egypt. Egypt was the powerhouse in the ancient world. Their army was the best army in the world. So it's sort of like If the United States military, all of them together, said, this is our mission, here we go, what kind of chance do you think somebody has? You got the Marines, you got the Army, you got the Navy, Air Force, all of them together, Navy SEALs, all together on one mission to take out these people. That's what's behind the people of Israel. And then ahead of them is this massive body of water. So God says to Moses, tell the people of Israel to go forward. They're, they're encamped by the sea. And God tells Moses to tell the people to go forward. I was thinking about this story a couple weeks ago when Stacy and I went to Lake Michigan because it was sunny in the 70s in October. And I thought, we have to go to the lake, right? And I was thinking about this story. The entire United States military wants me dead. And in front of me is this large body of water. Go to the slide. (laughs) God says, go forward. Yeah, okay, that sounds like a good plan. Are you sure about that? Right? Verse 18, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. 
So God is saying several times throughout this chapter that he is the one that's going to get glory over Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians. And all the people of Egypt will know who God is. And all the people of the world actually are going to hear who God is as a result of this story. So Moses stretches out his staff. A huge wind blows all night. And a large wall of water is on their left and on their right. And they walk forward on dry ground. It's a pretty incredible story, isn't it? Do you believe it? Do you believe this story really happened? When I was a senior at Michigan State, I had three incredible roommates. Their names were Mark, Mike, and Thor. That's true. I had a roommate, his name was Thor, and that was his real name, and he was awesome. <laughs> we lived in the Capitol Villa Apartments, which was near the corner of Hagedorn and Grand River. It was a two-bedroom apartment. We put all four beds in one bedroom, bunk beds, so that the other bedroom could be like an office study area, all right? In the corner of the office study was a lazy boy that I had recovered from a back alley my sophomore year at Michigan State. (laughs) On top of this chair was a sheet that had been sprayed with Febreze many, many, many times. It was not clean. It was not a, it's not a chair that my mom wanted to sit in. Let's just go ahead and say that, okay? Anyway, so this chair sat in the corner of our office. I loved that chair. I thought it was really comfortable. I didn't really care. And I remember reading this story as I sat in the corner of that office when I was a senior in college. And I remember asking myself that question. Do I believe this? Did this story really happen? In that moment, I felt like God was, kind of did two things for me. Number one, I had this realization that my life is kind of a reflection of this story. My life, I was the Israelite in slavery. I was in bondage to sin. My life was dark. It was depressing. It was hopeless. And then God brought me out of Egypt, out of that enslavement, and offered me a new life. A life of freedom. A life to the full. Who I am now is nothing like who I was. And as I thought about this story and I thought about this ridiculous miracle that took place here, I also thought about the miracle that had taken place in my own life. And I realized, given the choice, I would rather see a miracle like this than a miracle like that. And I want to be that kind of a miracle. Not only that, 
The other thing I thought about over the course of those next few weeks as I was thinking about this story is I just kept thinking about, okay, so if, if this story really did happen, and if God is who he says he is, and if nothing is impossible for him, then how come we don't see this more often? I want to see more things like this. I want to see more God-sized, ridiculous miracles. And so I just started praying for them. I just started praying for God-sized things to come around me. It wasn't necessarily even a specific prayer. It was just like, God, I want you to be part of this. And I want, you to, I want to see you in that. And I want to see you do this. And he just kept showing me himself in crazy, ridiculous ways again and again and again. And I literally could tell you dozens of stories tonight. Every member of my family is a crazy story. Stacy and I's story is crazy. Our adoption of our son Jaden is not exactly what you'd call textbook. Uh, Eli's story I shared a few weeks ago. It's a crazy story and God's got his fingerprints all over those things. Over and over and over again when Stacy and I were in I don't know, financial crisis, we saw God provide again and again and again in crazy ways that you can't even make this stuff up. While we were studying in Jerusalem, we had like $50 left to our name, and God did this miracle and this miracle and this miracle, and our rent was paid in the next week. Okay, that's awesome. When I was in seminary, same thing happened with Jaden's adoption. Crazy stuff happened with how God provided Eli's adoption this past week, paid for. Thanks be to God. Come on now. Stacy and I have been married nine years. We've lived in many different houses. For example, our first house was at 27 Yeshai Street in Jerusalem. Then we moved to 123 Park Street in Zealand. Then we moved to 47 East 13th Street in Holland. And then we moved to 28 Sanford Street in Zealand. And now we live at 130 West 23rd Street in Holland. You guys got all that, right? Every single one of those stories of those houses is crazy. I'll tell you one, okay? I'll tell you one story. Stacy and I were living in Jerusalem. We were flying home to Michigan for a few weeks to get married. And... In those few weeks, we're getting ready for the wedding, and Stacy says to me, hey, when we get back, you know, a year from now, do you have any idea where you think we might want to live? And I'm like, no, what are we doing tomorrow? You know, I don't, I'm not thinking a year from now, right? And she's like, well, you know, I think it'd be fun if we maybe lived in Zealand. I don't really know a lot about Zealand, but I think there's these, these, these cute houses with front porches, and uh, what do you think? Sure. I, I don't care right now. I mean, She's like, well, can we go drive through the downtown Zealand area and just look, at, look around? I'm in. Let's go. I don't care. So we're, we drive downtown, and she's like showing me this house and this house. And don't you think this is a cute neighborhood and all these wonderful things? And then she drives past this other house, and she's like, my friends Jack and Cindy, they live in this house. I really love this house. It's got a great front porch. It's got a porch swing, all this kind of stuff. Cool. Well, you know, whatever. The next day, the next day, 
we go to church. And after the church service, in front of us, Jack and Cindy. And right after church, they turned around and they said to us, hey, have you guys thought about where you want to live when you move home from Jerusalem a year from now? Do they know we were creeping on them last night? <laughs> Literally, out of their mouths. I think God is calling us to go live in Hungary for a year and wondering if you guys would want to rent our house. Sure. Sure, we can do that. Are you kidding me right now? We can't make this stuff up. Literally, Nine years, all those different houses, every single house has a crazy story like that. And I don't say these things. To, oh, by the way, here's a picture. 123 Park Street in Zeeland, Michigan. And one more. There we are on the porch on move-in day. There you have it. Here's what's amazing. God, when God demonstrated his power like this in my life, Stories like this have helped me take another step of faith. I trust God differently because I've seen stories like this again and again and again. And friends of mine, family members of mine, my sister, anytime I call her and tell her another story, she's like, I don't know how one person has so many crazy stories like that you should write a book. And I'm like, I'm not going to write a book. I just want more stories because they're awesome because that's who God is. Because that's who God is. And every time he does something like this, my faith gets to increase and maybe the people around me can grow in their faith as well. That's the hope for me. And one more thought. People can argue about this story in Exodus 14. They can say, you know, the Bible, it's not really true. I don't believe those stories. It's all fictional or whatever. They can have that conversation if they want to. I believe it happened. But what they can't do is tell me what God didn't do in my life. The transformation that has taken place in my life, they can't refute that. This 123 Park Street story, coincidence? Maybe I have a different idea especially since it was for this house and this house and this house and this house. Because when God is doing something in us and around us and through us, and when it's evident, it can't be refuted. The last verse in this chapter, Exodus 14, verse 31, says this, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. God led the Israelites on a route that gave the Egyptians the impression that they had wandered into a trap with no way to escape. Right? But in reality, God's plan was designed to get Israel out of Egypt in a way that only God could be recognized as the deliverer in this story. It looks like there's a trap. It looks like there's no way out. And God's like, no, I've got a plan. 
And my plan is a plan that there's no other explanation other than myself. It's not a coincidence. It's not this nature thing that happened, earthquake, something, and the water shifted, or whatever people want to try to make up. Only God can do something like this. And God miraculously opened up the water, allowing the Israelites to flee Egypt, and then he quickly closed that door again on the Egyptians. The Red Sea story is so ridiculous that God's reputation quickly spread in the surrounding regions. Next week, we're going to talk about the story of Jericho. Eventually, the people of Israel get to the city of Jericho. And as soon as they get there, the people of Jericho are like, we heard about your God. And we heard about the story of the Red Sea and how he parted them. And the people of Jericho feared this God in a reverent kind of fear. And not only the people of Jericho, but other regions throughout the land and all of the world kept hearing this story again and again and again because this is the story that God wanted to write. Friends, I think this is what the best news is. Our God is omnipotent, which you know, basically means he has unlimited power. And because of God's unlimited power, we, like Moses and the Israelites, can walk forward in faith, no matter what barrier lies in front of you. For the Israelites, it was a scary barrier of this massive Red Sea. What barrier is lying in front of you? Do you believe in a God of miracles? who could do something so ridiculous that he could part the Red Sea and he can provide for you? Do you believe him enough that you'd be willing to be the first one in line and take that first step? I always wonder about that. Who went first? Were they like doing rock, paper, scissors? You know, like, dibs, you're first. No, I'm going first because I'm seeing what God is doing right here and I want to be a part of that. That's the way I like to think about it. So when God demonstrates his power through you or your stories, it leads other people to take steps of faith. God-sized stories in your life increases your faith and the faith of those around you. Just like these stories, the story of Moses and the Israelites crossing through the Red Sea, hopefully they will increase our faith and our trust in who God is. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Please pray with me. God, we thank you For Moses, we thank you for the Israelites. We thank you that somehow this story was written down so that it can be passed on generation after generation after generation and we can read this story tonight and be encouraged and that we have a better glimpse of who you are. And I pray, God, that this week we will see you as an omnipotent God, a God who has no limits in his power. And a God who wants to have God-sized stories 
in our lives so that our lives can declare to the world who you are. So God, I pray this week that you will give us the faith to take that next step when you're calling us to take that next step. I pray, God, that you will give us eyes to see you and your power and your glory. Help us to pray big prayers. Expectantly. So that we can be so excited to tell other people the ways we've seen you at work. May our lives be like the Exodus story. May people here tonight that are maybe feeling enslaved in some sort of sin, may they be brought out of that into life. And may you part the sea, the barrier that stands in the way to freedom. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for this community. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you tonight in this place. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.